Everything on the podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing I say is meant to treat or diagnose, or it's not even advice for you to follow. So remember, when you're listening to the podcast, I am a doctor. I'm just not your doctor. Thanks for doing this. You're welcome. So I was talking to Ashley just the other day, and I was thinking it has been 13 years since we've seen each other. Yeah, it's been a while. (laughs) Your brother a lot on TV. I know he he makes it on the TV a little bit more than I do. He does. Yeah. People watch all the medical dramas, but I think some of the stuff we see in reality is much more interesting. I don't even think this story is from you, but I remember you told me a story about, I think one of your other residents that was in the ER had a patient come in for a pelvic exam and they went to do the pelvic exam because this lady came in with an odor and they happened to see something growing inside the, inside the vagina. I don't know if you recall that story at all. Remember. Which one? So, yeah. So <laughs> I, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure it was you, but it wasn't your personal story. But it ended up like this lady put a potato up there like a week ago and totally forgot that she put a potato up there. And then the ER residents looked in there and said, it looks like a potato. And she said, oh, oh yeah, I forgot about that. It's like, how do you forget about a potato up there? So. Barely, I've had so many foreign bodies in offices <laughs> since residency that they all blend together. Is there one foreign body that is stuck out more than the others? Yes, figuratively, not not, not literally sticking out, but figuratively sticking out. So I did have, and I actually have an X-ray on my phone, which I, is HIPAA compliant. There is a lock on the phone. I had a, a gentleman that came in complaining of rectal pain. And usually when you see like a 20 year old complaining of rectal pain, your mind just goes into a hundred different directions. And it was rightfully after the nurse left, he finally was not as embarrassed to reveal the story. So him and his, his friends were playing uh, beer pong. And every time you lost, you had to stick the ping pong ball in, in your butt. So basically he came in after the seventh ping pong ball. My God! Because he he couldn't get them out anymore. That was like my second patient of the morning. I'm like, this is not how I need to start my day. He had seven up. He had seven up. Total of seven. 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 X-ray is phenomenal. You think you'd give up after the third one? You're like, you know what? I'm not having a good game. I quit. Yeah. So I I, that was the conversation I had with General Surgery, who you can imagine was like a, a retired veteran who's very old school. And when I started telling him the story, he's okay, stop. He's like, so number one, he agreed to this. And he's number two, after you lose the first time, most people will be like, you know what? We, I, I should try a different sport, not this one. But seven times he was like, I, I just can't. And he literally walked into the room and I remember hearing him come down the hallway and he opens the door, not even introducing himself. He was like, what were you thinking? Like that was his introduction. <laughs> What was another good? Oh, the other good foreign body one I had was a a couple were trying to use beads, but their own home makeshift version where they tied golf balls together (laughs) and the string broke. And so I had to call the surgeon, of course, again, first patient of the day. I tell him and he's cursing me up and down. He's really, you really couldn't wait until eight when we change shifts at 8 a.m. He's this is what you're going to give me as my last (laughs) patient of the morning. I'm like, yep, happy Monday. So I get a call from the OR like an hour and a half later. He's, you play golf, right? I'm like, yeah. He's, do you play with Titleist? I'm like, no, mm-mm, don't bring that back here to my desk. He's like, all right, I'm just going to throw this out then. I'm like, this is, these are the ridiculous 
conference conversations that we have that if patients only knew what goes on. But I do have x-rays of that one too. I still have a lot of x-rays. Yeah, homemade anal beads. Come on, just go online, order them. The next day shipping. Can't imagine they're cheaper than Titleist. The cost comparison. Yeah, cost comparison. They're probably yeah. very comparable. Or the surgery comparison that you have to undergo to right. get them back. Yes. Not to mention <laughs> the surgery. Oh my yeah. gosh. I well, can just the imagine these surgeons being like, I do not have time for the shenanigans. What yeah. were you doing? Just this beer pong situation to me just right. me But that out. last hour of being on call as the surgeon, though, we're looking at that clock. Like when my, our shifts end at 7 a.m., mm -hmm. like the 7 a.m. is the turn of a time. So every time it's at 6.59, I'm just holding my breath for that last minute. Mm -hmm. And then it hits 7. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, made it. <laughs> unfortunately, this surgeon, it, it's always him every time I call him for these foreign body <laughs> retrievals. And... He's gotten very frustrated with me multiple times. He's like, I think you do this on purpose. He's like, you wait, <laughs> you look at the schedule and you purposely just call me to come and get these out. He it's probably like, has I a mean, nickname for you that he does not say to your face. I'm sure he's got <laughs> something. Well, just tell him he's really good at it. So you want his pa your patients to have the best foreign body retrieval surgeon out there. Yeah, I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think spelunking was part of his, his daily routine. <laughs> but he's a good sport uh, about it he, he he always calls me and, and tells me what he finds but yeah I've, I've never looked at ping pong the same ever since yeah ping pong or golf now yeah yeah my kids ask for like a ping pong table when you're like no let's get let's get a basketball net let's try something different. <laughs> let's get something a little too big to put up the anus <laughs> you know, i'm looking yeah. for a larger ball so like in the eye world, we always, we hate anything smaller than a tennis ball. The racket balls will just destroy yeah. an eyeball. So it's just uh -huh. fit inside the orbital rim. It just destroyed the eye. So tennis and bigger, we're like, okay, great. But then we get into basketball. We hate basketball because then people are always looking up and they're reaching high. And so they uh -huh. keep poking each other in the eyeballs. There you go. And so, yeah, like somewhere between a racquetball and a, a basketball, that's the money zone for eye doctors. We're just like, all right, we're, we're, you're safe. Yeah. That's good to know. <laughs> keep that in mind. <laughs> Pick your sports appropriately. But we are a neuro center. We're a cancer center. We're geriatric centers. We have a 33% admission rate, which is very high. Our patients are unfortunately very complicated and very sick. Our doctors, you guys are the doctor that if anybody is ever anywhere in life and says, I need a doctor, if you're on a plane, if you're in a stadium, if you're anywhere and somebody says, is there a doctor here? They yeah. want you. They don't want me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's happened a few times. All my kids coaches love the fact that like the ER doctors at the game, we actually had, there was an unfortunate or devastating situation where a kid got hit in the chest. My son plays baseball. And a kid got hit in the chest and ended up dying because no one knew what to do. Um, so this was last year. So this year I actually went out and I bought a portable AED now that comes with us to games and I'm still have to put it together because I just got it. But yeah, I'm going to teach the kids how to use it and make sure everybody knows. And especially since my mother-in-law watches our kids when we're not home or working and God forbid something happens, it's five steps. I have a a soon to be 10 next week and a seven-year-old, they can easily follow these five steps and just, and it, it talks to you, it tells you what to do. But yeah, it's, I have been in those situations where they're like, is there a doctor around who the physicians are? Cause everyone just puts their head down, starts shaking their head. <laughs> Should have took the earlier flight. 
Um, now, I've never had the plane situation. Like I've been first on the scene to three different car accidents. I have had somebody go down in front of me at a concert and taking care of them. So I find myself in these situations fairly commonly, but never on a plane. What's the most unique or like most interesting time where you were just not in the hospital where all of a sudden you had to put your doctor hat on and, and go to work? I've had the chest pain on the plane that we had an emergency landing. That was right after residency. A lot of them pretty much though have been personal. I've had my son slip in the kitchen and split his face open. And I sutured him in the spare bedroom. Every surf trip we'd go on, I'd bring a first aid kit. My cousin actually, the fin on the surfboard cut the back of his heel, almost cutting his Achilles tendon. So I sutured him up in the parking lot on our surf trip. And then we wrapped his whole foot in duct tape. And I'm like, we just got here. You're going back in and you're flying home, but we've only been here for an hour. So either this works or you're just going to watch. I'm going back in the water. Uh, yeah. I put a lot of fingers back in place, shoulder one time. Joint, the joints, if you get them right away, are usually a little easier. But otherwise, like the accident stuff, you, you pull up there and you just make sure no one is dying. And after that, you're like, oh, all right, I got to go. Ambulance is here. Bye. And you just... <laughs> you get out of there. You think back, we asked you to think about some stories before mm -hmm. coming on. What are the stories that you thought about uh, that really have stuck with you? There's a few. I had some in residency that were, you just don't forget. I had a young girl that came in a cardiac arrest. She ended up having myocarditis. She actually got two heart transplants in six months because she actually coded twice in the ER. We got her back after two hours of trying to resuscitate her. She ended up going up to the PICU. They found out she had myocarditis. She was in the hospital for three months, got a heart transplant. A month out of the hospital, got an infection hmm. and arrested again. And I coded her again the second time that she came back you were, in. You were the same, like, the you same doctor. Wow. It was like an, like I heard the name and I was like, why do I know that name? And then I saw her mom and I was like, oh, this is not good. And then she ended up getting a second heart transplant and then ended up graduating high school. Wow. Which was amazing. She was in the hospital for almost two years. That, that must feel amazing though. It's terrifying in the moment to work on somebody that long and to code somebody twice. Like the numbers are just against you. And then to see her come back, get the transplant, go on and live her life. Wow. That's amazing. Especially kids. The kids now having my own kids are different. I've had to uh, code unsuccessfully, unfortunately, a kid that had the same name as my son. So that was mm -hmm. unbelievably difficult. But then there's been good stuff. It's not always awful endings. I've changed the way I, I practice emergency medicine in the last 10 years. Like when I run a code, I have the family watch. I invite whoever's there to come in. I want them to see what real CPR is. But it's not like Grey's Anatomy where, oh, you push on their heart twice, they wake up, I love you. It's not, that's not reality. Mm -hmm. So I invite all the families in, whether it's a child, a grandmother, whoever it is that we're resuscitating, whoever's there with them, I make them watch. I at least want them apart and see what it is that we're doing. Because I don't think a lot of people realize how brutal resuscitating somebody actually is. And a lot of well, times I found they, mm -hmm. they ask us to stop. Yeah. Especially if they're older. They're like, please stop. I, the, my, this is not what my mom wanted or my grandmother wanted. And they see how much effort it goes that goes into and it. how it's many not people. And how mm -hmm. many people, and they know that you guys gave it your all. If they don't see it, they always have this question, was everything done? If, if you see a code and you see how hard we're all trying in yeah. those situations and how much goes into it, the medicine, yeah. the monitors, the CPR, it's like, 
we, we give it everything we have with modern medicine. We just, we have our limits, unfortunately. Yeah. And how fast everything really is. I started actually after COVID, I was really burned out. I'm still burned out, but I, I started doing hospice and I actually am a hospice medical director for multiple care sites now. And that has probably been one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. I had to put both my parents on hospice. Uh, both my parents have passed. My mom died in 2017 from a stroke, intracranial hemorrhage. She had advanced dementia and fell, had a huge head bleed and died five days later. And my dad died of COVID during COVID. So I was looking for something different. And one of my good friends was doing hospice and palliative. And she's, you really, with your experience in doing this in the ER, especially after COVID, she's just maybe something you want, you should look into, have, and it's, it's been awesome. Emergency medicine, you're always dealing with a stranger from the beginning. You don't see the end result part, right? Like you either admit them to a specialist to the hospital and they're gone. Like occasionally you'll follow somebody that you're really curious about. For the most part, though, you don't really know the long-term outcome. So being on the other side of that, where you're helping them accept their fate and make it a painless as possible process for both them and their family has been really nice. I've been doing house calls. One of my patients who passed away not too long ago, I went to her house and was just adjusting some medicine and we watched the little rascals in black and white for 45 minutes. <laughs> that was my day. And that was, it was awesome. Like, I haven't watched this since I was a kid with my grandparents and we just sat in this little tiny house and just watched little rascals. She was laughing and made some medicine adjustments, gave her a hug and, and left. And she died two weeks later, peacefully. That's yeah. been really rewarding and it's a different pace. You go at your own pace. You actually get to go see the patients, spend time with them. It's not crazy environment. Even the ones that are inpatient in the hospitals, we, we have two patients right now, currently you go and you sit with the families and just talk to them, get to know the patient, a complete stranger who I knew nothing about, but yet I'm going to help transition and you help the family too. And they, they've been very nice. Like I've gotten a lot of great feedback from the families. And it's nice to hear that as awful as the situation was, it was a very pleasant experience for the patient and for them. Yeah. From the outside, it looks like that'd be harder to deal with because everybody on hospice is really that close to death and you're going to lose all of those patients to death. But on the other side, it seems like you have just the time with these people and you have very clear objectives and um, it sounds like you meet those objectives. You give them pain relief and you give them comfort and love and that that sounds amazing yeah some of the stories i've had patients who are 103 104 years old wow so to hear some of their stories is just mind-blowing them telling you when they were kids and cars weren't around yet you're hearing these stories and then they've lived through all these wars and depression and poverty and they now have 37 grandchildren it's it's crazy when you listen to all the stuff that these people have been through and it makes you feel lazy you're like wow i haven't really <laughs> done anything <laughs> and i complain when someone ate my last bagel like you live through the depression like, this, is, this is wow i need to adjust my thoughts on things but yeah it's been really awesome it's been a nice change of pace from hospital er and politics and chaos politics and chaos we could all do with a little less a little of both less. of those things yeah yeah <laughs> the one question i think most er docs hate is like what's the craziest worst thing you've ever seen like i hate that question <laughs> like, without a passion like when people ask that my wife is around she walks away she's oh shit no don't, don't do that please, please, please don't ask him that one because it, it, it is that's like asking a war veteran what's the worst thing you've ever you, you don't want to know like yeah, the horrible stuff yeah 
that that we get to see like the funny stuff the foreign body stuff is always comical or the you have the guy in the hospital and his girlfriend's there and his wife shows up and then it's oh great now this is gonna be like a show of maury like where they're gonna start fighting in the hallway <laughs> you have those you know i one of them that came to mind is that there's still or was a few years ago a strip club not too far from where we work and I got signed out from the night doc that was it was a fall and I'm like okay all right this shouldn't be too bad it's the first patient of the day oh it's always the first patient of the day this is how your day starts <laughs> and I walk in there and she's in a bathing suit like a bikini and it's winter time outside I'm like what is happening she's got an ice pack on her head a huge heat hematoma and she just starts screaming that the girl before her lubed up the pole too much and she did her thing and slammed her head and knocked her out cold. And she's like, you have to testify in court. She used too much lube. I'm like, I, there is no way that I am ever going to sit in front of a judge and say that too much lube was used on anything ever. This, oh that's gosh. just not ever going to happen. And on it, it's some, some of the kid stuff is really funny. Like you get, we see a lot of strep and a lot of earaches and a lot of just ridiculous things. And somehow it always circles back to foreign bodies. But <laughs> mom brought her daughter in, her little three-year-old saying she was peeing rainbows. And I'm like, that, that was the chief complaint, peeing rainbows. rainbows. What? <laughs> I'm like, I even looked on up to date. I'm like, am I missing something? Is there something I didn't learn? Was that day in medical school, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Correct. But apparently when you put Skittles in certain places and then you pee, it pees a rainbow. I was like, wow. <laughs> oh, this is a new one. So I actually had to transfer this kid to the pediatric hospital because we needed, like, I'm not going to get that on a three-year-old. Like, you're ready. Right, Absolutely. Skidolectomy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I am not ruining this girl's world. Stick a poor redhead about to just change her life. No. Uh -uh. She's, nope. she's going to the operating room and someone else is going to do that. But yeah, so apparently if you didn't know, if you want to pee rainbows, it's, it just requires Skittles. <laughs> Kids are rad. Yeah, that's what it is. Thank you, Charlie, for coming on. Before you go, I got to know, did that stripper file a workplace, like a <laughs> compensation, like a... He probably doesn't even know because no. like she left I the had, ER I, and then she... I had to send it to occupational health. I had there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I knew he it. He had a good... I, so I, I literally had to call <laughs> occupational health for that at 7.45 in the morning with her concussion from too much hey. lube. Okay. And she had to go to their office and she was going to fill out all the papers. She had like a legit, it was an enormous hematoma and she definitely had a concussion. Kept repeating herself, wasn't really sure what was going on. I mean, she hit her head really hard. Thankfully, no cervical injury or anything like that. But sure. yeah, I mean, it it was an impressive injury. Like when she took the ice pack off, it was one of those where you're like, oh, like I didn't expect <laughs> that when you moved. That's, that's actually, that's huge. That's, that looks like it hurts. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's bad. Okay, uh, but yeah, it was, yeah, it's a worker's comp injury. You don't think about OSHA being in strip clubs, but their businesses, I'm OSHA probably goes in and yep. make sure they're safe working conditions, just like every, everything else. Yep. Just had to know. Yeah. I'm just happy. I didn't get called to any subpoena for <laughs> the stripper pole incident. Cause I, there's no way I was going to keep a straight face. Yeah. Like now doctor, can you please comment on the amount of lube that's appropriate for a strip stripper pole? <laughs> Yeah, apparently too much that they used. I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't. What do I say? Once again, I missed that day in medical school. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure the volume of lube per square inch of stripper pole. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of those that would, it, it's a good laugh every now and again.
keeps you going. Yeah. Yeah. Those fun stories keep us going too. It's the thank yous and the funny stories mm -hmm. that usually make it worthwhile. <laughs> yeah. Talk right. to you later. All right, guys. Bye. Bye. Hi, this is Dr. Dave. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please rate, review, and share this episode so that we can continue to get you more stories in the future.